be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the letter of Paul to the Romans, our regular epistolary lesson for this Sunday, reading there in the 8th chapter, especially the 14th verse. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, the Lord of our life, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, and you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Today, as we know, is the eighth Sunday after Trinity. That is, the eighth Sunday since we have celebrated the festival of the Holy Trinity. And it is our custom on the Sundays after Trinity to deal with some of the practical matters of the Christian life. And today we have this question to be asked, and it's this. Who are the sons of God? Who are really God's children? Who are really God's sons or God's daughters? And I am sure that if without thinking you and I would answer, we would probably say hastily, why all of us are God's children, all of us are sons of God, all of us are daughters of God, whatever the case may be. And we would say, why we are children of God because we are human beings. All human beings are children of God. You know, it's rather strange when we turn to the Word of God, however, with that question, and we ask on the basis of the Scriptures just who are the sons and the daughters and the children of God. We do not get that answer that everyone, because he is a human being, is a son of God. We find the Apostle Paul writing by authority of God in the Scriptures as he writes to the Christian congregation at Rome talking about this very matter. And this is what the Word of God says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God's Word says, therefore, that not all men, because they are human beings, are children of God, but only such as are led by the Holy Spirit, only those who have the Holy Spirit are really God's sons or God's children. That's a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Some of us may resent that strenuously. To say, do you mean to say that only the person who is guided by the Holy Spirit, that only a person that has the Holy Spirit is a child of God, we may say to ourselves, that can't be right. There's no connection between the Holy Spirit and between a person being a son of God. We may say, regardless of what anybody says, I still believe that if I'm a human being, I'm a child of God. And it doesn't make any difference whether I am led by the Holy Spirit, whether I have him or whether I do not have him. Quite a dispute, and it's quite bitter, isn't it? But the fact still remains that when we turn to the authority of the Scriptures, that the Word of God tells us, when we ask who are really God's sons and God's children, the Word of God says only those, only such of us, as are led by the Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit, no others, 
Those who are not led by the Holy Spirit are anything else but children of God. We are not children of God because we are human beings. It is well this morning that we look at that statement from the Word of God to see whether it has any element of truth. We may say there's no connection between the Holy Spirit and a man being a child of God, but there is. The Holy Spirit has a definite connection because the Holy Spirit is the must in your life and mine if we are children of God. He is the essential one if you and I are sons and daughters of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we are not sons of God. With him, we are. No human being, merely because he is a human being, is a child of God. You've got to have the Holy Spirit and you've got to be led by him. Why? Why is he the absolute must? Why is he the absolute essential? Why is he the absolute necessity in order that we can call ourselves children of God? Because in the first place, let's know this, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us sons of God. We are not sons of God or children of God until the Holy Spirit makes us such. We are not children of God because we are merely human beings. You may say to me, well, preacher, what are we then if we aren't children of God? We are creatures of God, but we are not sons and daughters, children of God. But you may say to me this morning, well, that's just a matter of semantics. You're just arguing words. What's the difference whether I'm a creature of God or whether I'm a child of God? It doesn't make any difference, doesn't it? When you turn to the Word of God again, if you and I are mere creatures of God, because we have been created and given life, we are most miserable of all men because the Word of God says we were born in trespasses and sin. The Word of God says we are all children of wrath. We are therefore, if we are mere creations of God, merely creatures, then look at our natural status. We come into this world without any knowledge of God, and that's why a man who is worldly, who doesn't know anything about God, doesn't even know whom I'm talking about when I talk about the Holy Spirit. You and I come into this world not knowing that there is one God and yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We come into this world not knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us children of God. We come into this world being dead in sin, under the contamination and the taint of guilt and the taint of punishment. The very fact that you and I can die is an evidence that we come into this world as sinners. And therefore, if we are only creatures of God, there is a tremendous difference because as creatures of God we are lost. We stand condemned in the sight of a just God. And therefore, in order to be children of God, we must have the Holy Spirit who is the one who comes to us and who makes us sons of God. And we may say, how does he do it? In infancy, he does it in baptism. By means of baptism, being born of water and the Holy Spirit, he makes us children of God. He implants a living faith in Jesus Christ and our hearts. And he comes to us as an adult when we can hear the word of God. And first of all, the Holy Spirit through the word of God brings us to a conviction of sin. When you and I stand before God and admit that we are a sinner, admit that we have broken God's law and we deserve eternal death and damnation, we are under conviction. And the Holy Spirit is the one who has brought us to that sorrow for sin. And then the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, brings us to a living trust in Jesus Christ. He causes you and me to stand in front of Calvary and shows us the Christ who died for our sins. 
the price that bore hell and damnation for you and me. And when we are brought to put our trust in him and his righteousness, then you and I, and only then, do we become children of God. Paul uses a beautiful word. He says we become in the spirit of adoption. God adopts us as his children. You see, God has only one son, the only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and therefore when we become children of God, we become his children only in the one way in which is possible, by adoption. And that's a beautiful word because that word has the connotation of love, that God desires to make you and me his children, and therefore the universal marks of a child of God is this, first of all, a conviction of sin, and a real trust in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Well, that means we have been born again. That means we have been converted, whatever word you like. But it is the Holy Spirit who brings you and me into sonship with God. Just being a human being means we are only God's creatures. And when the Holy Spirit makes us children of God, then we are granted from him the forgiveness of our sins, and we are delivered from the eternal punishment of sin. What must it mean to be a son of God, to be born again by means of the Holy Spirit, to come to a living faith in Christ and to know that sin is forgiven, to be able to look at your life and I to look at mine and see everything that has been done contrary to the divine will, and then to know that by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest solvent in all the world, that the Holy Spirit by means of his blood washes out of the book of life everything that you and I have done contrary to the will of God that your life and mine looks at God again in all of its holiness and righteousness because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Well, that's what it means to be a son of God, to be born again by the Holy Spirit, to be delivered from eternal death and eternal damnation. That's the status of sonship. Who are children of God? Not you and not I, merely because we're human beings. No, only those who are led by the Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit. None others, only God's children by means of the Holy Spirit, who is a necessity. And when we begin to realize that there is a tremendous difference between children of God and those who are not, well, then common honesty would lead you and me to say that I want to be led by the Spirit, that I might be a child of God. And if that is your desire in mind, then we ought to look within ourselves and to ask ourselves, do we have the Holy Spirit? Are we being led by him? How do you know whether you are led by the Spirit? Have we come to repentance in Jesus Christ? Have we come to faith in him? Jesus says, by their fruits ye shall know them. The only way to test the genuineness of your faith and mine is by our life. Jesus says, look at the tree. What kind of fruit are on the tree? If there are nothing but corrupt fruits on your tree and mine, then we are not children of God because a good tree brings forth good fruit. Not that you and I don't sin. Every day we sin and do things that are wrong that we are not conscious of. Every day we do things that we do not want to do. But in your life and mine there ought not to be this, that we deliberately do that which we know is wrong. Are we debtors to the flesh, Paul says, to live after the flesh when we have become God's children? We ought to look at the fruit of our life and to see, does our life add up? Is it the kind of life that ought to be a life of one who is a child of God, who is led by God's Spirit? And when there is that evidence in your life and mine that we are led by the Spirit and that we are children of God, that we have been made such by the Spirit, well, then there is gone the fear of death and the fear of an eternal punishment. 
Man spoils himself in life, doesn't he, by saying to himself, Oh, I am a creature of God. I'm a human being. Therefore, I am a child of God. And yet, why the fear of death? You know, we talk about funerals today, and we say they're getting smaller and smaller. We always give us the only reason because everybody works. But that isn't the whole story, is it? One reason why funerals are small is why? Because we don't like to go to funerals. Because when we go to funerals, we are reminded of death. And we do not like to be reminded of death because some of us are afraid to die. And we do not like to think of death and to think of the judgment. There might be a judgment. And that's why some people are very prone to want their bodies cremated, hoping that if they should have their bodies burned and ground into dust, that even God Almighty will find the resurrection of that body and impossibility. But let us not deceive ourselves. The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine, and there will be a resurrection unto judgment. And therefore, again, we may look at our lives knowing this, that not all of us are children of God, only those of us who are led by the Spirit, who have the Holy Spirit. And oh, again, that burns us up, doesn't it? And we resent that very thing. But the Word of God says we are not God's children simply because we're human beings. The Word of God says, for as many of us as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Having the Spirit makes the difference. Why? He is the absolute must in your life and mine if we are children of God, because the Holy Spirit also in the second place is not only the one that makes us sons of God, but he is the one who enables us to claim God as our Father. Isn't it funny in terminology today, everybody calls God his Father. We talk about the fatherhood of God, and that's the lie of the age. There isn't such a thing as the fatherhood of God. God is no more the father of all men than you as the father, the father of all children. You are the father only of your children, even as I. We are only father to our own. And then again you may say, well, what are you then if God isn't your father? God is the God of everybody but he is not the father of everybody. You say, that's semantics again. You're arguing words. What's the difference if God is my God or whether God is my father? You may say, doesn't a rose smell just as sweet even if you call it by another name, does it? Is there any difference between God being your father and mine and God simply being our God? There's a tremendous difference. Why? Because if I am not God's child and he is not my father, then when I turn and pray to him, my prayers are totally unacceptable to him. How many men pray to some supreme being? Call God Father when Jesus Christ doesn't live within their hearts. I even had a minister tell me one day, he says, when I'm in a group where uh, Christ isn't accepted and I pray, I leave his name out. Can you imagine anything any more blasphemous then to leave out the name of Jesus Christ in a prayer and deliberately do so in order to deceive men that God could possibly be a man's father except through Christ. Jesus put it this way, he says, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it isn't just a form. When we say we ask it because of Jesus or through his name or in his name, listen, it isn't necessary that we say it, but it's always implied for the simple reason that no prayer 
has the right to be played except it's played in the spirit of Jesus Christ because God is the Father only of those who by means of the Holy Spirit have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. How many prayers do you pray in groups where Christ isn't mentioned and never? A prayer without Jesus Christ where he is deliberately left out, don't forget, is blasphemy. The prayer is not heard, it is not acceptable, it isn't answered. That is strong language, I know. But that's the word of God. But oh, when the Holy Spirit has brought you and me into sonship with Christ, then, Paul says, we receive the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. Do we realize what it means to be able to call God who has created us our Father? I think of the time in the Civil War. You recall the soldier that was caught asleep on sentry duty and was sentenced to be shot? His father, when he heard about it, came to Washington to see Abraham Lincoln, the president. Naturally, having no credentials, he couldn't get in the White House. There he was seated on the curb outside of the White House crying because the life of his boy was at stake. There was a little boy that morning playing on the sidewalk outside of the White House who walked up to the gentleman and saw him crying and said, what are you crying about? And the man told him, I want to see the president, but they won't let me in. The little boy offered his hand to the man and said, Come, we'll go see the president. And the man looked at the boy, but he took his hand, and the guards left them go down the sidewalk, and they opened the door to the White House, and Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States, was in session with his cabinet. But the door opened, and the little boy walked up to Abraham Lincoln with the man, and he says, Father, this man wants to talk to you. It happened to be Todd Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States, but he was Todd Lincoln's father. And Todd Lincoln, with all boldness and confidence, knew that his father was never too busy to hear him. And the man pled for his boy's life, and his boy was saved. That's the prerogative and the honor that comes to us when, by means of the Holy Spirit, God becomes our father. And that means that you and I have a glorious privilege of going to him with a childlike confidence any time. God is never too busy, and God promises to hear us and to answer and always in the best possible way. You may say to me, what do you mean by best? Why by best from the standpoint of the eternal destiny of your soul and mine? God answers the prayers of his children only in one way, and it's always the best way. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes God says yes. But always there is strength to bear the things and always from the point of view of eternity that God says, this thing that I give you, my child, is best. There is a tremendous difference. And we ask, who are children of God? And, oh, we can argue all we want to that everybody, because he's a human being, is a child of God. He isn't. You are not a child of God, neither am I, because I'm a human being. I'm anything but a child of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And therefore, when we see the status of sonship, that God becomes our Father, well, then it ought to be the very essential in your life and mine that we ask ourselves, am I a child of God, or am I just one of his creatures? Is God my Father, or is he merely my creator? We only need to look at ourselves and to ask ourselves, how about prayer? How about prayer in your life? When did we pray last? 
When did we turn to God as our Father with the confidence that because He's our Father, He is willing to listen? How many of us are going through life worried stiff about tomorrow, afraid to move to the future? And we look out and we can say, as Byrne said, O ye banks and braes of Bonnie Doon, how can ye bloom so fair? How can ye chant, ye little birds, and eyes so full of care? How many of us are so full of care that life is almost meaningless and we wonder whether it's worthwhile simply because we've got a Father in heaven who promises to hear and to answer and we don't even pray? If you and I are guided by the Spirit of God, if we are sons of God, we talk to our Father because our Father loves us. And our Father promises courage for the day. Jesus prayed, oh, when he was in Gethsemane, look what a man of prayer he was as a human being, let alone God. And I stood in Gethsemane again, thinking of how he prayed so fervently for now. Oh, my Father, calling upon God as Father. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass through me. Remember, he spent all night in prayer before he chose the twelve. Communing with God as his Father before he picked the twelve when he named James the greater and James the less and John and Jude and Judas and Peter and Philip and Matthew and Andrew and Bartholomew and Simon and Thomas. He did it after an all-night in prayer. One of the earliest prayers that I learned in childhood, this thing, Abba, it's the Hebrew word which means Father. It's never been translated into English. It's like the word Amen is Hebrew. The word Alleluia is Hebrew. Hosanna Hebrew stays in the Hebrew language. Did you learn that prayer, Abba, Lieber, Vater, Father, dear Father, oh, and we can cry again by means of the Holy Spirit to God as our Father. We can face life erect because God says that I'll work everything for your good. Who are the sons of God and the children of God? Well, again, those are fighting words to some individuals. Some say, I don't care what you say. If I'm a human being, I'm a son of God. But God doesn't say so. You and I are not children of God simply because we are human beings. We are children of God only when we are led by the Holy Spirit because he is the must. In a man's life, if a man is a son of God, it's the Holy Spirit who must be there. He is the essential. Why? He's not only the one that makes us sons of God who enables us to claim God as Father, but he's the one also that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What witness does a man have that he is a son of God if he's basing it merely on the fact that he's a human being? Oh, I know that a lot of us have it. How many of us have said this? I'm just as good as anybody else goes to church. You see, we try to justify the fact I'm a human being. There are I'm a child of God just as much as anybody is that goes to church. You ever have your neighbor say, I'm just as good as anybody goes to church. I don't care. You're a big bunch of hypocrites. That's why you go. We ought to remind them, come on in. There's room for one more. But again, this thing, what you do, and I'm better than you are, isn't it strange? We try to justify ourselves that we are sons of God because we are human beings. And then, of course, we're always better than a lot of people, supposing we are. Strange, though, isn't it, that we always compare ourselves with somebody that we know is worse. We never compare ourselves with somebody that is superior, do we? Because you come out on the short end on that, and that's no fun, is it? That's no fun. How many of us justify ourselves and try to verify something within us that we are sons of God because we're human beings? We don't get very far, do we? Especially when we face death or especially if we're honest enough to face our sins. When we begin to face our sins, uh, then something happens. But when again the Holy Spirit causes you and me to have to our souls the testimony that we are children of God, what does he do? Through the word of God he testifies 
to us because we have repented of our sins, because we have put our trust in Christ, that we are saved. And in thousands of scripture passages, he comes to us in the word, assuring us that because Christ died for everyone, therefore he died for you and for me. Because his was an eternal sacrifice, because it was for all men, therefore you and I are included. The whosoever the word of God is so broad that it includes every man. And there are thousands of testimonies that the Holy Spirit brings to you and me through the word that we are children of God. And that because we are children of God, then the glorious status that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ of eternal life. Think of the status of sonship. The man without Jesus Christ, the man without the Holy Spirit may argue all he wants and can say, I'm a human being, therefore I'm a child of God. But only the man that has the must in his life, the Holy Spirit, can say that because the Holy Spirit has caused him to be born again, to come to a living trust in Christ, that he is an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. Think of what it must mean to be an heir of God, to be a joint heir with Christ, God's only begotten Son, an heir of eternal life. Oh, how we hold on tenaciously to life, don't we? And we want it. And when death comes to a loved one again, the sorrows that come because life is sweet. Then being an heir of God means life forevermore. What must it mean? Is it any wonder that scripture says, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him? To have life, abundant life, life forevermore. Now that's what we inherit in Jesus Christ, sons of God, not mere, again, creatures of God. Because those are words that burn. We ought to say to ourselves, we are not sons of God because we are human beings. We are sons of God only as we are led by the Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit dwells in our hearts by faith. And in order to know whether he is there, we ought to ask him, what's our attitude towards the Word of God? Uh, how did we feel in coming to church this morning? I wonder if we get up on Sunday and never say to ourselves, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it or it is going to church a humdrum thing that it's a matter of duty and we can't wait it's over with to get out? Or do we come to church and say, thank God the Holy Spirit through the word of God that will be preached will bear witness with my spirit that I am a child of God and when I am a child of God nothing else matters and can we go out of church feeling that we have confronted God, that we have seen him in his word, that we go out as sons of God holding our heads high in him because he is our father and he understands. Paul said again, that when the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, we are the sons of God, and then there is joy in suffering. What, what's happened? What's happened? Why is it that the world doesn't hate the church as the world ought to hate the church? Maybe some of you this morning say, I don't believe what you're saying. Maybe some of you are saying, if what you are saying is true, that only they are children of God who have the Holy Spirit, and I don't have the Holy Spirit to see what that does to you. It makes you lost, doesn't it? No man likes that. There is a stigma that is attached to being a Christian, a child of God, and belonging to the church. What's happening in America that the world loves the church like it loves it? Why is it that belonging to the church today is a status symbol? Everybody belongs to the church. It's grand. The big thing is find out the one where your social standing will be a little larger. That's the big thing today. It's the thing to do to go to church. The world ought to hate the church because the church says to the world, you may be a human being, but unless you are led by the Spirit of God, you are not God's son, you are damned. 
Those ought to be fighting words. What's happened to the church? Oh, in this great ecumenical movement that is going on, certainly it'd be wonderful if the church were one. But I'm wondering if the church in its desire to be one is forgetting the message that it has. And that's a two-edged sword, the message that cuts to the quick, that tells the man of the world, without the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God, regardless of what you say, you're lost, you're damned. That should make a man hate the church. Look at Paul. On his first missionary journey with Barnabas, when they come over again to the island of Cyprus, came up into Asia Minor. Remember when they came to a place called Derby, And when Paul was there, here were people worshiping idols, and he healed a man that had been crippled from his mother's womb. And they began to worship Paul and Barnabas as though they were gods in human flesh. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, and they called Paul Mercury because he was the spokesman. And they began to offer sacrifices, and Paul stopped them. And he said, we're only human beings. And then Paul preached the gospel. But what did he tell them at this stuff? He told them that only in Jesus Christ does a man become a child of God. And then because he had said the same message over in Iconium, they came from Iconium, they got a hold of Paul, and they took him out and they stoned him. As far as they were concerned, they killed him because of the stigma of being a Christian. They thought he was dead after being stoned, but he got up. There must have been a young man who was watching because when Paul came back to Derby, he picked up the young man, you know, became a great war horse in the church too, Timothy. Timothy must have seen all that. And again, he went on carrying the torch. But when Paul preached the essence of the gospel and let it be seen that only the man that has Christ is a child of God, they tried to kill him. It's the stigma of the cross. Nobody's killing anybody else in America today, are we? Because somehow or other the church has gotten so soft and so supine and so self-sufficient that the world says, That's, that'll never harm us. We're just all right, too, whether you're in it or whether you're out. You ever been in a place where it was a stigma to be a Christian? Last summer I was in a nation where to be a Christian was a stigma. We were in a restaurant in a certain city, a very nice restaurant. We had had our meal and right up a few stairs from the main part of the restaurant there was a grand piano standing there. And one of our party of 25, a school teacher, walked over and sat down at the piano and began to play. Very fine pianist also, by the way. She began to play a popular number of we sing here in the United States. It had an electrifying effect in that restaurant. I was amazed that they know our popular music, and they began to sing, and the waiters stood there, and they watched, and there was approval, and there was applause as she played from one number to the other. Then as she modulated from one song to the other, she started to play a Christian hymn. And when she started to play the Christian hymn, and some of us sang rather softly, the silence in that restaurant was deafening. Everybody stood there. There was a glare because they hated Jesus Christ. I know what the stigma of the cross is. I felt it too. Just get some place where Christ is hated, where other religions have taken the place, and you begin to realize the world ought to hate the church because the church, and I can't speak it any plainer, says to a man, just because you're a human being, you may be a fine human being, that doesn't make you a child of God. You're lost. You've got 
to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to come to a conviction of sin, and you've got to come to a living trust in Jesus Christ, or you're lost. Those are fighting words. That's the stigma of the cross. But when God is our Father, we ought to walk the glory road, and we ought to say to ourselves, Am I a soldier of the cross? A follower of the Lamb, shall I blush to own his cause, or even to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize, and sailed through bloody seas? Am I a soldier of the cross? We ought to realize that to be a son of God means to be a soldier of the cross. But to walk the glory road in this conviction, this is still our Father's world, isn't it? This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? Isn't it time that the message of Jesus Christ becomes so pertinent and sharp that at least the man of the world knows what we're talking about? If some of you hate me this morning because I have told you that just because you're a human being, you are not the Son of God, that's the stigma of the cross. But my prayer is that you'll not go out of this church this morning, but what you will ask the Holy Spirit to bring you to a conviction of sin and to a living trust in Jesus Christ that you can go out of church and know the joy of what it means to be a son of God. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.